Good morning. Welcome to Crossroads. My name is Brian. Thank you for being here this morning. Happy Father's Day to all of you out there. Um, I think it'll be in, in the, the message this morning, actually, that Bill's going to talk about. Um, there's a verse in Galatians that talks about um, God giving us the spirit of his son so that then we are, as Christians, able to cry out to our Heavenly Father. So I um, just want to say thank you to the fathers out there, especially those that are trying to model and reflect Christ in their lives. So with that, let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much. Uh, we are here. We're gathered in your name. We're here to hear about you. We're here to hear from you. That comes from us lifting our voices in praise through the music. That will come from us attending to the message to try to better understand an, an, an incomprehensible God, a God that is beyond our standing and yet makes himself known through his word, through his spiritual witness and testimony to us, and through messages like we're going to receive this morning. So God, we just ask that you soften our hearts, give us a fresh perspective through the music, through the worship that we're going to have this morning musically, and through the message that we're able to see you anew and be able to cry out to you as Abba Father as all Christians should be. In Jesus' name, amen. We are go for launch. T-minus 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Ignition sequence start. That was just to wake you up. <laughs> Hope it worked. Uh, I love that clip. There's something that uh, I, I wanted to share, because we're talking about launching the church today. We're talking about the greatest movement that's ever happened uh, on this planet when, when Jesus Christ gathered together his body and we went global. But I, I, I want to just reflect a little bit about that scene that we just saw uh, it, it's a historical reality that we just watched, just as the launch of the church is a historical reality. For those under 40 or so may not understand the impact of what we just watched in that clip. Uh, we as a nation were at a time when we'd fallen behind. We'd gotten arrogant after World War II, and we'd become immoral. We had stopped supporting our military. We had stopped recognizing that we live in a very dangerous neighborhood. And during that time, our, our arch enemy, the enemy at that time, Russia, had launched, the Soviet Union had launched into space. I remember in high school standing just absolutely amazed as I stood in a park in Coronado, California, and looked up and saw this little white light going across Sputnik. We had lost the space race. They owned space, and we were in a very dangerous position as a country. And so this Apollo missions that you saw was to go out and to win back, if you will, the leadership. Ultimately, we know what happened to the Soviet Union. We, we outran them in technology and in economic production, and they collapsed. And now we live in a world where we're in the same situation, by the way. Our enemy is not Russia. It's in Ukraine right now. It's China. And there's a real threat to us as a nation. Uh, that's set aside. Uh, 
we'll go on with the message for today because the message is about launching launching the church now we've been in a series for 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 many weeks and these are the main verses that that God gave to us Jesus as he was leaving the earth he gathers his disciples together on the mount of olives he's been showing them convincing proofs for 40 days they saw him die they, now they've seen him alive for 40 days. They've touched him. They've walked with him. They've eaten with him. They know the reality that death has been defeated. And so Jesus says, I'm going on. But, he says, I'm not leaving you alone. He says, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, that, that, that force, that energy, that reality, that, that God that comes upon us and will live in us, and that they were to be witnesses, not just in, in their local area, not in their neighborhood, not just in uh, Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. And we talked last week about Samaria being an unclean area. So that they would, they would be going throughout the whole world, Jew, Gentile, everyone would come together under the name of Jesus Christ. And they were spreading information about Jesus Christ. This, uh, this song that Lori did, let me tell you about my Jesus that's what they were doing. They were going out. That's the gospel. The good news is the good news of Jesus Christ. And they carried it to the world. It's still the good news today. Uh, and so I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is the Apostle Paul that led the charge. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel, the good news, is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew, to the Gentile, to the clean, to the unclean, to every nationality, every race, every culture, everywhere. This was, this was a movement that was above boundaries, races, and groups, and even uh, family ties that they had. It says, to the Jew first. For this, this good news is the righteousness of God revealed. Revealed. God revealing his plan, his righteousness, which just means uh, rightness, correctness. Uh, wisdom in this case too, uh, from faith to faith. Now, we're going to say several times, just as the beginning of this, I said, if you're under this age or something, there was something going on you need to think about. Now, at this time, when Jesus launches this church out on the world, this idea of being saved by faith was just unheard of. It's just by believing in God, believing in Jesus Christ, you can be saved, if you will, from hell. You can be saved. Your sins can be... All of this is just by faith. Remember, just like human nature, everything was about works. Everything was about earning. It was about appeasing these capricious gods that were up there. And so uh, when he says it's just faith in Jesus Christ, it, it, no works, no nothing, that's a done deal. This was, this was new data. This was, this was a revolution that they were launching on the world at that time. And as they went out, they would have the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the name of this series is actually acting out. And so these disciples of Jesus Christ had been transformed not only by their relationship with him, and he now lives in them, but also the Holy Spirit come, lives in them. So when they start to act out, in, in the world, when they start acting, it's a good thing because they are acting out as a Christian. They behave as Jesus would uh, in their lives, in their trials, in their failures, and in their relationships with others. So this, this witness was not only the witness to Jesus Christ and the Word, but it was their life. When they stood in front of people, they were being examined. They were being looked at. And, and one of the, the remarkable things about the disciples was that their behavior, their demeanor, uh, their attitudes were so different that people would say, you know, they're different. They're not trained. They got no, no education going on for them, but they had been with Jesus. And that was the difference that, that carried their message with power to everyone. But they went global. Remember, it started, Jesus, 12 Jewish men. By the time, he, the gathering as they went, but by the day of Pentecost, which we've talked about uh, four weeks ago, uh, when the power fell upon them, uh, there was 120 men, women uh, gathered together. That was the extent of the church and Jesus' work for three years. Spirit falls, Peter gives a sermon, 
3,000. A short period of time, he does a miracle and, and raises up a layman, 5,000. And so this, this, this going out into the world, into the known world, as it says in that verse, is today there's 2.38 billion people who, when given an application for jobs or work, they say, I'm a Christian. Or they identify with other people, say, I'm a Christian. Uh, many people here would say, I'm a Christian. And I, I know I did long before I was a biblical Christian. I thought I was a Christian. I was born here. It's like when you go to McDonald's, a hamburger, well, it's a hamburger. It's from McDonald's. I was a Christian because I was, I was fried up here in the United States. Uh, but now they're out. And, and God uses people. Next week, and it's going to be a surprising message, I think, He's going to, we're talking about his messengers. We're going to be talking about who he used, the chosen, uh, if you will. Uh, but the Apostle Paul uh, was one that was used to spread the word. Dion introduced him a couple of weeks ago. He started out as Saul, a, per, a prosecutor, persecutor, uh, imprisoning, killing Christians. Uh, ultimately, God, because, because Saul or Paul is the same name, but loved God and was so zealous for God, he was, do he was just on the wrong road. So God stops him, turns him around, blinds him, educates him, and three days later he's baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and he launches him on a campaign to the Gentiles. Now, the, the, the chapters in the book of Acts uh, primarily talk about Paul's ministry and his mission trips going out. 10 chapters plus. I can't cover that material, but it's good to have background. To help us, we'll, we'll go to the source of all wisdom, uh, YouTube, and uh, watch, watch a video that talks about Paul's ministry. During the first century, most people around the Mediterranean Sea lived in densely packed cities, all ruled by the Roman Empire. Each city was a diverse blend of cultures, ethnicities, and religions. And because of this, there were all sorts of temples for offering sacrifices to all sorts of gods, and each person had their own portfolio of gods that they gave their allegiance to. But in every city, you'd also find a minority group who wouldn't worship any gods but their own, the Israelites, also known as the Jews. They claimed that their God was the one true creator and king of the world. Now all these cities were connected by a network of roads built by the Roman Empire, and so it was easy to move around, to do business, and even spread new ideas. Now one person familiar with these roads was the Apostle Paul. He spent the second half of his life traveling from city to city, announcing that Israel's God had appointed a new king over the nations. This king wasn't like anyone who'd come before. Right. Most kings rule with aggression or power, but this new king rules with self-sacrifice and love. His name is Jesus, and Paul is his herald, who's inviting all people to live under this king's rule. The stories of Paul's travels and how people received this message, that's what the third part of Acts is all about. For some time, Paul's home base had been in the city of Antioch. And from there, he and his co-workers went out on three road trips, traveling by land and by sea to strategic cities throughout the empire. In each city, Paul's custom was to go first to the Jewish synagogue where his people gathered. He'd start teaching and showing how the Messianic king promised in the Hebrew scriptures is Jesus of Nazareth. And some believed this news, others didn't. And still others thought this message was so misleading and dangerous, they would incite riots to kick Paul out of town. And so that's when Paul would take to the bustling city marketplace. He would set up shop there to make and sell leather tents to cover his travel expenses. And here, Paul kept sharing the news about the risen King Jesus with anybody who would listen. He was often misunderstood as just promoting a new God. One time he prayed for a sick person, they were healed, and everyone around thought he must be a Greek God that came down to visit them. But Paul insisted there's only one true God and he was his servant. This message often stirred up opposition and more riots, and he got beaten, even thrown in jail. Why such a strong reaction? Well, the worship of the gods held together Roman culture. They believed the gods kept their city safe, and the temple worship of the gods was a huge part of their economy. Paul wasn't just adding Jesus as a new god to the list. He was saying all other gods are powerless, even a sham. So he's undermining their way of life. Yes, and more than that. 
When Paul announced Jesus as a new king, he would call him Lord or Son of God, the very titles people used to refer to the emperor of Rome. So Paul's message could easily be heard as a threat against the entire political order. Why would anyone join this movement? I mean, it sounds dangerous. Well, people were captivated by the story of Jesus and how his love created communities where all people were treated as equals, regardless of ethnicity, gender, or economic status. These people formed new families that would eat together. They lived sacrificially and took care of their poor. They lived like Jesus actually was the king. Right. And so in every city where Paul announced the message about Jesus, people were being transformed by God's spirit to become new kinds of humans. So Paul would stay in that city and teach them the way of Jesus. And then he would leave for a new city. This was a difficult life. Paul had to endure a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. Yeah, and he did so because he believed that his own hardships were a reenactment of Jesus' suffering and death for others. He said it was God's own love that drove him to share the story of Jesus, no matter the cost. After his third road trip, Paul's reputation had grown. He had made many new friends, but had also made many new enemies that he would be wise to avoid. But Paul didn't avoid them. His next stop was Jerusalem, a city full of people who wanted him arrested, even dead. And so why he goes to Jerusalem and what happens when he gets there, that's what the final section of Acts is all about. You are now experts on the Apostle Paul and the explosion of the church in the first century. Now, now understand Paul's mission trips. He, he walked or was on ships and shipwrecked, by the way. He, went, he walked 10,000 miles. Think about that. From, from one place to another. These weren't frequent flyer miles. These were, these were really long, treacherous walks and dangerous walks at sometimes uh, imprisonments, countless times beaten, uh, sometimes within inches of his life. Uh, he died once when he was stoned in the biblical sense uh, and, and was brought back to life. This, this is Paul. Uh, dangers from everyone around him. He journeyed. He continued to go on throughout the whole Roman world. It was the good news for the next 300 years, Christianity continued to grow in the, in the Roman Empire. By 323 AD, the Emperor Constantine actually allowed Christianity and made it the official religion of the Roman Empire. Whether that was good for him or not, I think there's mixed opinions. I think it was not become attached to a government. But ultimately, uh, the people of God dominated the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire in the history of the world, and to the point where today we have billions of Christians, that people that claim the name. So how did it move so fast? Well, first, Paul, energy, and truth, and the Holy Spirit moving inside of them. But God had carefully prepared the world for this message and the information of Christ. At the fullness of time, God sends Jesus. This is not an accident. There's a, there's a meta plan. There's a plan that was before God said, let there be. When, when, when God created first the spiritual world, then the physical world, all of these places, there was a plan from the beginning to the end. We, we may be living, I think most people believe, we're living at the end of that plan. We're going to see Christ come back and set up his kingdom here on earth. So, but at just the right time, there was, there was Romans ruled the world. They called it Pax Romana. There was peace, basically, among the nations at that time. Extensive system of roads. You can still see them. If you go to Israel, you go to Europe, you go to places, you'll see roads. They're, they're inter, uh, internet, or they're, excuse me, they're, uh, they're uh, highways that cover it all. Common language. The language Greek, Koinia Greek, the common language of the people that was spoken in every nation. So you could communicate across cultural barriers in this Greek language. They wrote the letters that Paul wrote and Peter wrote and all, and they wrote them in this Greek language. It could be read and understood and distributed throughout the kingdom. So people would understand it. Interestingly, uh, the books, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke had, had been written and they were being circulated. Paul's letters were being circulated. By the end of 100 years, there were 24,000 copies of what we would call the New Testament today that were available for people to, to view in, in this common language. Circulation was incredible. Uh, and of course, we mentioned it in the video, when Paul would come to a town, there was always a Jewish synagogue. If they have 10 or more Jews, they had to have a synagogue. 
And so uh, he would be able to go there and present Christ to those people. Uh, but this good news changed the world. Today, we look at a couple of questions. Number one, uh, what is the good news? What is the gospel? And, and what makes it good news? Well, let's start uh, with, with a recognition that I don't like to admit. For those of you who know me, I'm a bit of a pride bag uh, to the extent that I like to be able to explain things. I've got male answer syndrome. If you ever ask a man something like going to the moon, he'll give you an answer. He may never have left his block, but he knows how to get to the moon. And so I've got male answer syndrome. So when I look at God's plan, it is something beyond me and my understanding. The truth is that, that God has consigned all to sin and disobedience so he can have mercy on everybody. But then he has a plan to restore himself and each person to each other to build a, rec a reconciliation. But I, two words that stick with me, and this is one of my favorite verses, that uh, God's plan is unsearchable, inscrutable, it's countercultural, and it's counter-human nature. When God does something, as a matter of fact, you look at the religions of the world, and it kind of makes sense. Works, this, knowledge, that, that's all us. God says, no, it's, it's what God does. It's counter human nature. I want to work. I want to earn. I want to feel that I have done something so I deserve it. No, God says, no, you don't deserve it at all. And it's countercultural because in our culture, there's no such thing as a free lunch. The idea of working, the idea of bringing it about, us doing it, self actualization is the term Maslow uses, which our whole culture has embraced as a way of life. So this is totally different. It's unsearchable. It's inscrutable. The word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness. To tell people in 2022 that if, if you want to be successful with God, you have to sacrifice yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. You have to lay aside your self-esteem and replace it with Christ-esteem. You have to remove the desire for self-actualization and, and make your life about Christ-actualization in your life and in the lives of the people around you. This is, this is so different. So as we start, as we unpack God's plan, understand that because we're human, we're going to have limitations. But I'm going to present, if you will, what's the good news? It's, it's a picture that for me, has helped me greatly, the idea. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's, we're talking about the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the good news? What, what did God really do? What did Christ really do? What can we count on as truth? Well, what happened in the middle of the Roman Empire, if you will, God planted a cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. You, they preached the cross. We preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified. The cross, the, the sacrifice of the Son of God becomes the central point in the Roman Empire. But to understand the cross and why it's important, Paul, author of both verses, says in a minute, as ambassadors of Christ, when they come to a city, they're the ambassador of Christ. We're making an appeal through us. This is God making an appeal. We, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So his message was, be reconciled to God. Lay your life down, be reconciled to God. You can't have both. Can't, can't have, you're not a duplex. You're, you're a single family residence. You got, you got the Holy Spirit, period. Uh, or you have the world spirit. But look at the last part. Here's how this is done. This is amazing. The cross is the place where love and sin collide. And the love of God wins. Because on one side of the cross, I come to the cross of Christ. Each person here has the choice and the ability to come to the cross of Christ and stand and see what it means. What it means is that Christ died for your sins. All of them. Big sins, little sins. They, the Bible tells us clearly that those sins that I committed, that you committed, were nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. You, you might say, but, but, but Bill, I wasn't born then. I think God knew. 
I know God not only knew my past, my present, but my future sins as well as yours. 2,000 years ago, they were nailed to a cross. Think about that. When Christ looked down at us, because he knew us, he knew our sins, and he chose to die for each of us. That's got to change us. I mean, yes, those are Christianese words. Yes, that's... But you see, that's the good news. Christ removes sin, because without the removal of sin, there's no chance of going to heaven. There's no chance of the Holy Spirit living in an unholy person. There's no chance of Christ leading and guiding uh, us if we choose to follow our sin. We have to come to the cross, and now look what happens when we do. The other side of the cross, our sins are taken away. God looks and it, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the sinlessness of God is taken off of Christ. Look what it says. Made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That is put on us. This is, this is amazing. This is, this is heretical in any other religion. Any other approach to God is just would look at this idea that, that God looks at me and you, if you're a sinner, if you're a sinner that have admitted your sins to Christ and have been reborn, that God looks at us as the righteousness of God. He doesn't see the sins. He doesn't see the failures. He sees the holiness of God. That is the weirdest thing. Can you imagine? We stand before God and we pray, but we don't stand in front of him uh, as if he's not done anything, we have this incredible love and amazement that Christ died for us. That's the good news that they carried. Now, excuse me, everyone here should say, I want that. Because that's the only hope. To live and to die without Christ is to select hell. It is to select a life without purpose and division from Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the world. That's the gospel. Jesus' death on the cross is the foundation and the heart of Christianity. We have to stop and say, that's the good news. That's what they carried to the Roman Empire. That's what's being carried today. Uh, I'd love to have time to, to let you listen to, and I've done it so many times, a, a sermon that was done uh, uh, many years ago in 1976 by a guy named Lockridge. Look it up on the internet. Uh, but it talks about Jesus is the hope. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Everything that God sends to the earth is in Christ. And they carried the message of Christ throughout the world at that particular time. Jesus is the good news. No, let me say, Jesus is the good news. His birth as a human being, God becomes flesh to poor peasants to who grows up, who teaches, who gathers disciples, who proves himself to be God in the flesh by miracles, by prophecy, by his specific life and his death on the cross. The good news is Jesus. Don't, don't let anyone kid you about it being a thought or anything else. The good news is Jesus Christ. Why should we be excited? This is not a theological statement that I just made. Jesus' life is not wrapped in theology. It's wrapped in history. The good news is good because God gives us proof of his love to us first. When he sends his son to die for us, we, we know the verse, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you. For God so loved me. Think about that. It's not the world. God knew each person then and each person ever born. And when he sent Jesus, he knew you. He knew me. Even though we were millennial away from being born, he knew you. So God so loved me and he loved you that he sends his son. If we believe in him, believe in the cross, believe in this, this incredible gift of the good news, then we have eternal life right then. We now have eternal life with God in heaven. God didn't send, stay in heaven and say, whoa, stinks to be them. 
He didn't send an email. He sends his son in the form of a human being to die for us. God demonstrates, proves, and puts his love in front. This is historic. This is not theology. This is what we can look up in facts and we can build our lives on it. And he goes beyond just this relationship from a distance. Through Jesus Christ, we are adopted into his family. Our, our Sunday school class is talking about what it means to be a son. This, this, this idea that, that, that God has adopted us. We've become sons and daughters of God. These verses, which I think are basically worth memorizing, uh, comes out of the book up to a letter to a church at a, at a very sinful town called Ephesus. And, but he says, now blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us, past tense, past tense completed, every spiritual blessing, every gift in the Holy Spirit. When we become a Christian, we have a full deck. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We've, we've, we've got the Holy Spirit. We've got Jesus in us. Now, some of us have a deck that's got a few extra jokers, but we're just not going to mention that. But we've got everything that, that we would need in Christ. It's, every other religion of the world is a works program to get us the blessings of God. In Christ, because we're in Christ and the Holy Spirit is in us, we have all the spiritual blessings. And God goes beyond just knowing us. He takes us into his family. He says that the spiritual blessings are there before him. He predestined us for adoption into his family. You know, we don't realize this. I, I would suspect at some point in every person's life here, we have heard the Lord's Prayer or even said it. And it starts with our Father. We claim that now we're adopted. God is our Father. You, you try that in a Muslim country. You say that, that Allah is your father in direct connection, and you will probably be stoned if there's the freedom to do it. You say in a, in a Muslim country, in a, a, a Hindu country, that this vague, it's, an, it's inconceivable. It was inconceivable 2,000 years ago when the disciples of Christ went out into the world and said, oh, by the way, God wants you and his family. And so uh, that's, that's the promise there. It's... And it's given to us as a gift, not of works. All other religions are works. The good news of Christ is a gift. For by grace, God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, for by grace we're saved from ourselves through faith. It's a gift from God. We can't work for it. There's no works. We can't brag. You can rest assured. When you get to heaven, you will not have to listen to me brag for eons about how way cool I was. Because I'm not way cool. Christ is way cool. But I am totally relieved that I don't have to listen to you brag for eons about how way cool you are, that you endured these messages here on earth. So, because uh, the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. All the other religions work for a relationship with God. Now picture this. They walk into heaven and they put their hand out and they say, God, you owe me. And they anticipate spending all eternity for God paying them back for their good works here on earth. That's the most ridiculous, stupid thing I have ever heard. But 99.9% .9 of the people ever born believe that's the case. They think we're good people. They think we do good things. So I did before I was a Christian. I well, I'm so cool. God's going to take, he would never send me to hell. <laughs> Wrong. But, but this, this is a gift to us as we do it. And that's the promise. Jesus gives us hope. Hope in this life. Many, many sources of this hope. He says that in the world, uh, you can have peace. Now you're going to have tribulation. This world that we live in is full of tribulation, but he's overcome the world. If we're in Christ, we have the knowledge that every situation, every circumstance has been ordained by him, and Christ is walking with us through each of these trials and challenges that we face. God's with us. So he can overcome even in our trials. And this 
purpose in life. You know, I often challenge groups, and I challenge myself, so don't, uh, to say, okay, just today, later today, or if you haven't done it, if you've done it, pull it out and remind yourself. Write out a one-sentence mission statement while you're here on earth. What is your purpose for living? What do you dedicate your life to? Where's your time, your money, your energy? What does it go to? Is it furthering a career here on earth? Which is okay, God wants us to work. But is it, is it building relationships with other, what, is, it, is it that? Or, or is it possibly that we can make an eternal difference in someone else's life? Now, everyone's got a variety when you write your mission statement, which I encourage you to do. There's a variety of ways that God wants to use us. We'll talk about that next week in the people of God. But however he wants to use us, how, is he, how does he want to use you? What's your mission statement? Because you see, Jesus gives us the, the statement that we are God's workmanship. The word is poema. I always point that out. Poema, we're God's poem. Poem? Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, created in Christ Jesus. That's different. I'm God's workmanship, but I'm created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has prepared works, challenges, things that each of us are supposed to do. Not, it, it makes a difference here on earth, but it makes an eternal difference. We'll get to heaven and there will be people who we have, have no idea will come up and say, thank you. You used your gift of helps. You used your gift of, of love, of forgiveness, of grace, of, of prophecy, of all that. And, you, and I'm here because of what you did. That's a purpose for living here on this earth. That's hope in this life. But there's hope beyond this life. Now, this concept of personal life in the Roman Empire wasn't even thought of. And in most of our religions of the world today, this personal reality of me as, as my person, the uniqueness is my soul. And your uniqueness is your soul. It's your personality. It's those things that make you unique, that God made you unique. It's, your it's all of these things that are in us that make us unique. Most of the other religions of the world wipe them out. We're not unique in heaven. A Hindu, you, and the Romans, when you got to heaven, uh, they believed that you were just dispersed in amongst this great spiritual force that was there. Hindus call it nirvana, where we cast our souls in, on this spiritual force that's there. But that's not the case. God says, you go to heaven. He's building a place for you right now. Prepare a place so that we'll be with him. He'll come back. This perishable puts on the imperishable. But we know who we are. Most, I do a lot of memorials. Dion does a lot of memorials. Uh, uh, Marcy organizes a lot of memorials. But you know one thing that's so common, and, and you can know this, You've had people die that you loved. And we hold out somewhere in our mind that we're going to see them again. Not as a disembodied spirit, but just as the reality of who they were in their uniqueness, their quirkiness, the things that had us love them so much. We're going to see them that way. That's God's promise through Christ Jesus. No other religion is going to give you that ability to have that hope. Hope in this life, hope after this life is given to us both in Jesus Christ. And, and that's the good news. That's the good news that we're able to tell other people and that they were able to tell other people. We, each person here, will see Jesus Christ face to face. We personally will see him face to face. It will be a time where he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. Or, I'm sorry, brokenheartedly, he'll say, I'm sorry, I never knew you. Or more accurately, we never knew him, knew in the, in the sense of intimacy. We never knew him. So that's, that's the hope. What gives us faith in the good news is it just a mental proposition? Is it just mental assent to it? No, the good news is based on objective evidence. You see, when, when they went from place to place, the faith is the assurance 
the assurances, the hypostasis. It's the foundation underneath of things hoped for. The conviction is the evidence of things not seen. It is faith is not a blind uh, turn your brains off and let's just believe this. As, as Christ followers, God made us rational. So he gives us rational evidence and proof that not only for his existence, but also for his plan through Jesus Christ to the world. You know, uh, Jesus challenges his disciples when he rose from the dead. And this is, this is by the way, we're going to see, this is the big morofa. This is the most important. Did Jesus rise from the dead? He gets his disciples together, and doubting Thomas was doubting. So when Jesus comes in, he says, look, get all the proof you want. Get all the proof you want. And it's, I, I challenge everyone here because I continue to do that, to let God give proof to me uh, of his existence. It's ongoing. He, he says, put your hands in here. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And he says, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who haven't seen, and that's us. Continue to look for the objective evidence that's abundant in our culture. Uh, it's not a statement of, uh, of philosophy. It's not any of these things. It's the reality of Christ that we have inside of our lives. Objective evidence that, that first, God exists. He makes himself known through creation, his eternal power and his divine nature. We can see the details uh, so often. Quite honestly, you're going to think I'm really weird. But I'll eat, and I'll go, man, I just, I'm starting a process of, of nurturing myself and putting nutrition into me that's going to go through, and it's going to go through chemical processes, it's going to go through factories, it's going to do all of this kind of stuff so I can live. That's not an accident. You know, you can't evolve a... a Billion bits of information lining up exactly in the right place. This is not an accident. We're created. So anyway, we have, we have the creation proof that, that is there in front of us. And so we can investigate these things. We can look at those things. But the, again, Christ rose from the dead. What does that mean to us? <laughs> well, first off, God rose him from the dead, right? brought him up. Now, if Jesus was a liar or a lunatic that had false claims, God never would have raised him. But he came. They saw him die. They saw him alive. Only God could do that. God's stamp is that Jesus is alive. And, and we look at that evidence. And, and the disciples, when they went from place to place, this is uh, Paul writing a letter to the people in Corinth, because he wanted them to remember this. So here's, here's what's most important uh, this is what I, what, what, what I received and I gave to you. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, according to prophecy. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scripture. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12, Thomas we just saw. And now he appeared to more 500 people at one time. This is not a figment of someone's imagination. This is not a hallucination. This is in physical eyes, physical people, seeing a physical Jesus walking around to the point that they would die saying they'd seen him. That's how important it was to them. And it should be that important to us because in that, death is defeated. We have life after this life. When we come to know Christ, we have eternal life at that moment. The eyewitnesses carry that news throughout the Roman Empire. And this is what changes. So we have the proof of the risen Jesus. We have the proof of the validity of the scripture. We do this so often. The, the 66 books, 40 authors, uh, 1,500 years, three languages, three continents, all with unity of thought. And one of the things that makes it accurate is you can take the, the, the story, the gospel, and put it in history and see that it's true. A, an archaeologist, as a matter of fact, the one considered the father of archaeology, Sir William Ramsey, did not believe that the book of Acts that you and I have been studying and will continue to study for several weeks was accurate. So he says, I'm going to go debunk this with my archaeology because I'm an archaeologist and I know my stuff. So he went to the book of Acts. He went to the Middle East and he started digging. And he says, I'm going to prove that 
Luke was wrong when he wrote the book. He turns out at the end of it, from his research in Asia, uh, the archaeologist observed the meticulous accuracy and historical details, and gradually his attitude toward the book of Acts began to change. He was forced to conclude Luke is a historian of the first rank, and as an author should be placed among the very greatest of historians. It's, it's historic. What we are talking about today is verified in history. The good news also was given a, that they could carry, by the way, with them, other proof, supernatural. They carried prophecy. Everything that Jesus did, his life, his ministry, his death and his resurrection were all predicted in advance. You could go and you can read description of, of a crucifixion before in, in, in Psalms 22, before it was invented. You can, you can read that, that Christ would come to this earth. There's, there's an example given where Philip, one of the early apostles, was spreading the word and he runs into an Ethiopian eunuch that was traveling from Jerusalem uh, back to Ethiopia. Some people believe that was the foundation of the Ethiopian church. But he was reading the book of Isaiah 53 and says, what does this mean? So Philip says, look, this is God seven, 600 to 700 years before describing Jesus' death. And so he reads that, and what's the result? He says, well, there's a supernatural God seeing what's happening. I, I better listen. And that's exactly what he did. The prophet about himself or someone else. He says, he tells them the good news out of prophecy. And you read Paul over and over and Peter over and over, the apostles over and over, giving Old Testament prophecies, hundreds of them that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. What happened to the Ethiopian eunuch? He gets this. He sees the proof. He says, okay, I want to become a Christian. Philip baptizes him. This is the movement and the excitement that's there. Okay, last part. The testimony of prophecy, the testimony of history, uh, the testimony of all of these things is, is true. But there was something else. The changed lives of the disciples proved it. Disciples now fearless in the face of death. Just as we see today, people lined up on a beach and beheaded for their, you know, their Christian faith. 100,000 will die this year in, in this world in, in 2022 for their faith. Those disciples were willing to die for their faith. It, and their changed lives was the testimony that was there, that, that was taking place inside of their lives. They have received power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus now lived in them. They were different. They were acting out through Jesus Christ inside of their lives. They had fruit inside their lives, supernatural fruit of love, joy, peace, patience. Fruit of the flesh was removed and fruit of the spirit came in and lived inside of them. Their nature changed. They put their humanity aside to have Christ live in and through them. This is the disciples that they looked at, not only was the message the witness, but their life was the witness. And that should be the same for us. The last thing they created was a group of believers that were so unique and so different from the culture that surrounded them. That that community, we saw it in the video, that church that was established in each, in each of these places became a testimony to Christ. Well, how is that? Well, look what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostle teaching. This is the group of believers that gathered together. Uh, they, they ate together. They prayed together. All came upon them. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. They would gather. They held all things in common. Our Sunday school class today was talking about this, this church Jew, Gentile, uh, Roman, Ethiopian, every, every creed, every nationality, everyone gathered together, all equal. Slaves, masters, rich, poor, 
men, women, all gathered together in equality in Christ. This is something that in a, in a culture where 90% of the people were slaves, for slaves to sit with their masters as brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about that. Think about that. That was something when the outside world looked at it and everyone here, I believe, would say, I want to live in that kind of a community. That was the testimony of Christ. And, 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 and look at the end of that and said, uh, they received their food with glad, generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And because they had favor, God increased the size of the church. That's the message of Christ that changed the world. What, what is that to us? What does that mean to us right now? Well, you just heard the gospel. <laughs> you just heard the message of Jesus Christ. It's, it's something where some, sometimes we get too familiar with. It's the radical, life-transforming power of Jesus in the lives of his followers that changed the world 2,000 years ago, and it's changing the world today. It changed my life decades ago, and I still stand amazed and actually humbled that Christ would take away my sins that I might have a relationship with the Holy God. That's the message today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we, we bow our heads, but we bow our hearts in front of a God who loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. Not in a theoretical way, not in a philosophical position, but on a bloody Roman cross with our sins nailed to that cross. We thank you for the hope in this life and hope in the next life. We thank you that you will continue to reach out to each person here for those who are your children already and those who are seeking and investigating. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Just have to say one of the things that we say, we're here if you have questions. If you want to know more about this gospel or if you want to help growth in, in your relationship with Christ, just make an appointment. Come in and see myself or Dion. Also, it's Father's Day, speaking of Father's Day, and the appropriate gift for fathers is chocolate and candy. So we have a bag of it uh, in, on the back table there. Also, the prayer corner is open over here if anyone would like prayer. Thanks for being here.